everybody, welcome to the export. I'm Raven X, and along with me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I am sure is very grateful that Ja Morant's injury is a lot less serious than it looked to initially be. How you doing today, Ethan? Absolutely. Hopefully, it won't keep him out for too long. His return date is TBD. But we got a cool show for you guys today. Of course, we are going to start things off with the NFL and talk if Jonathan Taylor should be the leader um, in terms of MVP. We also are going to move on to the NBA, talk about the skirmish between Isaiah Stewart and LeBron James. Was Isaiah Stewart over-aggressive? Should it have gotten that far? And initially, do we think that LeBron might have did it on purpose? And, of course, we're going to close out with our Survivor Series recap. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out theexreport.net. I repeat, theexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X-Report writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X-Report. So, Ethan, we're going to do something a little bit different with returns to the uh, college football player spotlight. Now, it's been no secret that this year's quarterback class definitely has made a lot less noise than years in the past, particularly last year's, but they're still projected to be between three to five quarterbacks going in the first round. So as opposed to saying a team, I mean, saying a specific player, what do you think are four teams that could target a quarterback in the first round of this year's draft? Fair enough. I could, I'm definitely with you on the Giants. Um, I could see Houston. I almost threw Seattle in there, but they don't have a first round pick. But I feel like if they did, I think that this will be the time to like begin the rebuild. So where am I? I got Houston. I'm agreeing with you with New York. I'm gonna say. I wanna say Pittsburgh. No, no, no. I'm not gonna say Pittsburgh. I'm gonna say Denver. I think that Denver's definitely in line to draft someone in the Carolina Panthers. Those are my top four. Now, in terms of who all I think is going to get drafted, that's the hard part just because this quarterback class is, as we mentioned, kind of struggling. But those are definitely the four teams I would be shocked if quarterback was not atop their uh, draft board. But, all right, let's go ahead and take things back to week 10 I mean, week 11, starting off with the New England Patriots, shutting out the Atlanta Falcons Thursday night football 25 to nothing. Browns outlast the Detroit Lions 13 to 10. The Baltimore Ravens beat the Bears, even without Lamar Jackson, 16 to 13. Texans upset the Titans 22 to 13. Arizona Cardinals beat Seattle Seahawks 23 to 13. 49ers beat Jags 30 to 10. Washington football teams wins the Panthers reunion 27 to 21. Vikings upset the Packers 34 to 31. I apologize to the Packers because I definitely jinxed you guys last week. Um, the Colts defeated the Buffalo Bills 41 to 15. Eagles beat Saints 40 to 20, 429. Dolphins win the Battle of the AFC East 24 to 17. Colts outlast the Raiders 32 to 13. Chiefs beat Cowboys 19-9. Chargers win an instant classic against the Steelers 41 to 37. And unsurprisingly, Tom Brady gets his revenge against the Giants 30 to 10. Monday Night Football. Pretty good week for both of us in terms of predictions. I went 11-4. Ethan, you went 10-5. and five. Uh, First things first, what would you say your top three takeaways from this past week of action? Top three takeaways are, uh, it's like the season of the mojo. After looking very close uh, to the park for the majority of the season, it looks like they're finally getting that up um, on. I found my offense going, and now that Chris Jones is back, the defense is turning, making the turn for the better. <clears throat> number, number um, two, Jonathan Taylor is an amazing running back. 
I agree with that. It's definitely frustrating to watch the likes of Tom Brady just because he's always prone to bouncing back. All right, so here are some of the biggest injuries of the week. Khalil Mack, star linebacker for the Chicago Bears, is out for the rest of the season with a foot injury. Jags lose playmaker Jamal Agnew with the season-ending hip surgery. Uh, Jets rookie running back Michael Carter has been placed on IR and is going to miss at least the next three weeks with an ankle injury. And this was reported earlier today, but... The Titans' injuries just continue to flow. Wide receiver A.J. Brown is being put on IR with an injury of his own. So, looking at your Titans, out Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, looking at this roster right now, what skill position player do you have the most faith in to step up? They need all the help that they can get in return with regards to somebody who can catch passes because we'll get to, you know, Ryan Tannehill in a minute. But, yeah, I think that the bread and butter of this team really has been their ability to run the ball. And while they did release um, and Adrian Peterson, I think that Dante Foreman definitely showed a bit more pot- – excuse me, potential in the run game. So I'm going to say Dante Foreman because of his run ability, but also Jeremy McNichols because he has proven to be a really solid receiver out of the backfield. So I'm excited to see how they're going to be able to allow those two to really kind of get into the flow with the offense, especially because they need everybody. They need all hands on deck with um, this current stretch of the season that they are in now. All right, let's talk about the players we're most impressed by, disappointed by, and our rookie of the week, so I don't know who I was most impressed by. I'm going to go Justin Herbert. I mean, like I mentioned, it was an instant classic game between the Chargers and Steelers. Definitely a back-and-forth game. And I know Austin Eckler may get a lot more attention because he ran. I mean, not ran, but he scored four touchdowns. But I was really more impressed by what Justin Herbert did. Threw for 382 against a solid defense. Kept his game, his team in the game, even when things start to get a little bit stressful. And also led the team with rushing 90 rushing yards. I mean, once again, just had another game where he looked like a veteran. Nothing was too big for him. And that's something I think that everyone really appreciates about Justin Hurts because when he is good, he is pretty great. Yeah, for me, I'm also in the grid to deal with Justin Herbert. I actually, one of the few chances I actually had an opportunity to watch the Sunday night football game this year, and I watched that game. And just the way that he handled the moment and he stayed poised under pressure, I got to go with Justin Herbert. All right, so moving on to my most disappointed player. I got to stick with quarterback, and I'm going Ryan Tannehill. I mean, trap games are going to happen, but this one didn't even feel like a trap game. It just felt like a game that the Titans gave away, mostly because of the turnovers that Ryan Tannehill committed uh, through four picks. It was just a bad look, and it feels like it's only going to get tougher with more and more of his weapons coming out. Parsons. Now, I know that the Cowboys offense really didn't show up this past Sunday against the Chiefs, but Micah Parsons did, had an excellent game, had two sacks, forced fumble. I know that um, any given Sunday, anything can happen, but it looked like he was one of the biggest leaders in the charge for the Cowboys getting that win. It just didn't happen. Offense, and he he led the 
right, let's go ahead and look ahead to the before the start of this week's action. And a lot of people got some contracts, starting with the Philadelphia Eagles. After a long uh, discussion period, they finally re-signed tight end Dallas Goddard to a four-year, $59 million extension, which also includes $35.7 million guaranteed. They also extended cornerback Avante Maddox on a three-year deal, which is worth $22.5 million. The Denver Broncos showed some love to their wide receivers. First, Tim Patrick signed a three-year, $34 million extension. They also extended fellow wide receiver Cortland Sutton on a four-year, $60.8 million dollar deal now on the opposite side running back former pro bowl running back phil Lindsay was actually released by the houston texans but was picked up by waivers on waivers by the um miami dolphins which in my opinion is a great move because the dolphins run game is suspect at best um and then moving on to your tennessee titans as i mentioned earlier they did release um adrian peterson but they did sign golden tate ethan how do you like that signing surprising that he lasted this long as a free agent because like you mentioned he was solid I know that there was kind of issues between him and Daniel Jones because he felt like he wasn't getting the targets that he should have got which is understandable but I think that it's a good signing it brings in a veteran presence a consistent presence especially because right now the offense for the Titans really does not have any consistency so I really like this move as well and I'm excited to see how it's going to shake out all right, let's go ahead and talk about his former team, the New York Giants. Now, after losing Monday Night Football, uh, Joe Judge took to the podium and said this about his team. We've got to do a better job of putting our players in positions to make plays. We have too many good players. I'm going to watch the tape. I'm going to evaluate everything, every player, every coach, make all decisions that are best for this team. Now, shortly after saying that, it was announced that offensive coordinator Jason Garrett was fired. But it kind of begs the question of, why, who is more to blame for the Giants' struggles? Do you think it's the coaches or do you think it's the players themselves? Uh, I personally think it is the, I think it's a mixture. But as far as the offense, I think it was Danny Jones. I think Jason Garrett, he, he's been a good offensive-minded coach and offensive-minded coordinator for years. And I think Danny Jones is, isn't a really productive In this instance, I think I'm going to put a little bit more on the coaches just because most of this coaching staff besides um, – what's it called? Besides uh, Pat Graham, who's there also. But pretty much most of the people there have been here only like a year or two. Not many people have been there longer than that. And so with that being said, what has been the consistent piece for the Giants' struggles? Quarterback has been bad. I love Saquon Barkley, but he's been injury-prone for the last several years, which makes it frustrating to get him any growth. Evan Ingram, aside from his rookie year, has been well-known for his drops, which has made it frustrating for him to be seen as a quality player. So, like you mentioned, if I'm looking at it from an offensive standpoint, I think it's more so on the players, just because so many of the people in the coaching staff just got there while these other players had been underperforming or unable to perform due to injuries before the coaches got there. So I think on that side, I would more so blame the coach, I mean the players. But on the defensive side of the ball, I think it's a bit of a mix of both. I mean, defensively, we saw that the Giants could perform very well. And it's not like they've lost too many players from that side of the ball. I mean, Blake Martinez was a big loss just because he was their best linebacker and his ability to consistently make tackles was a huge thing for them. Um, bringing in Adoree Jackson, he hasn't been that great, but it definitely could be worse. Um, losing Jabril Peppers, I'm sure, also has a bit of an impact. So defensively, I think it may be a blend of both, but 
truthfully, when I look at the Giants, I think the players are more so the issue than the actual coaches. But I'm talking about somebody who else who's been an issue, Jonathan Taylor, but in a good way. After scoring five touchdowns against the Buffalo Bills and literally propelling his team to a huge victory, the question became, why haven't we have talked about a running back being MVP? Now, we know, all know that MVP has seemed to become a, essentially a quarterback award, but Jonathan Taylor may be potentially the player to change that. He's first in rushing yards, first in scrimmage yards, first in yards of 10 yards or more, first in scrimmage touchdowns, not to mention he was the first running back this season to reach over 1,000 yards. I mean, from players on his team to opposing teams to pundits, everybody is looking at Jonathan Taylor as a leading MVP candidate. Ethan, in your opinion right now, is he the clear choice for MVP, or do you think that there is someone else more deserving? Being honest, I think he should be. Because um, in my personal opinion, the MVP award is, if you take the same player off of your team, how does it impact their team? <clears throat> if you take, if you replace Tom Brady with another quarterback, top choice I think that's something that probably will play the biggest impact role for him as the season winds down is do the Colts make the playoffs if he can't if the Colts don't make the playoffs no matter how great his numbers are no matter how stellar his numbers are I don't think that that's going to be enough for him to win MVP because right now he is the Colts offense if you look at the numbers throughout the season like when he plays his best I believe every time he runs for over 100 yards they win and then, I mean, him scoring freaking five touchdowns against a very tough Bills defense is also going to help everybody out. So I think long-term, if the Colts make the playoffs, he definitely has a very strong case for it. But if they don't make it, I mean, or at least if we look at it from this perspective, I mean, there really hasn't been any quarterback who has just consistently wowed us. Like, for example, you mentioned Tom Brady. He's had his games. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has turned the ball over a lot. I mean, Aaron Rodgers had a hell of a game this past week. But, I mean... It's gotten to the point where it's just like, well, that's just what Aaron Rodgers does. And then Josh Allen has fallen off a bit. Whereas for the past six weeks, Jonathan Taylor has been not only the best running back in the league, but arguably the best offensive weapon in this league. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I could, I see him as the leading choice. Does he actually win it? I'm not sure. But he would be definitely deserving if he does. Now, all right, let's say he does win MVP. As a Titans fan, you have literally watched your team for the past few years ride the legs of a running back like Derrick Henry for years, multiple 2,000-yard season. Really is just an absolute dog. Would you feel some type of way if he was not the first running back to get um, MVP in the last several years? And up until I'm sorry to interrupt you, and then up until two weeks ago, he still was the league's leading rusher until Jonathan Taylor passed him. Yeah, and it's like this man probably—I think he was on pace to rush for another two thousand yards this year. Yeah. Over 
time. I would agree with that just because I love me some Jonathan Taylor. I loved him coming out of Wisconsin. But what Jonathan Taylor is doing, Derrick Henry has been doing for the last four or five years. Well, three, three, uh, two, three years. And so it'd be weird because it's like it's dope that a running back got it, but it's interesting that this is the running back who got it over this running back. And, of course, it's unforeseen circumstances. You can't really predict an injury. But – yeah, no, like, I think that it would just be weird if you look back and treat like, oh, who's the first running back to win it in? Let's see, who's the last running back? It was AP who won it in what? 20, 2012. Yeah, so like nine years. Who was the first running back to win it in nine years? And everybody, like, especially football fans now, their first thing will be like, oh, Derrick Henry because he was balling and then be somebody else. So I understand. But speaking of Derrick Henry, it seems that there is some optimism that his season may not be over. Um, Diana Rossini on Get Up ESPN said this, there's optimism that Derrick Henry will be back early January. That is the perfect timing for this team for the playoffs to begin. So believable or buffoonery, we will see Derrick Henry before this season is over. I'm going to say buffoonery, but I will throw the caveat. If it's any player in the NFL that I can see doing something like it, it's Derrick Henry. I think it's believable, mainly because... One, the season is a bit longer, so it pushes back the playoffs. So I feel like, and let's be honest here, even though the Titans have been struggling right now, I can't sit here and say I think that they're going to lose the division just because, I mean, their division, the AFC South is terrible. So they should be in the playoffs. And I think that given that opportunity, and like I said, given, the, given that the playoffs are going to be pushed back a week, I think that could be a great opportunity for Derrick Henry to come back. Um, especially because while there were reports that it was season injury, there was also some belief that he could come back um, if the team were to make the playoffs. So I could see him coming back, and if he comes back in the playoffs, that would literally be the perfect time. All right, moving on to another explosive offensive player, um, Lamar Jackson, who star wide receiver. Um, Michael Irvin said this on game day morning, said, I will king him the most exciting player in the history of the NFL. Now, I know if we leave it at the history of the NFL, is we're both going to say buffoonery. But right now, believable or buffoonery, Lamar Jackson is the most exciting player in the league. Believable. He's been, in my personal opinion, he's been the most exciting player for the past couple of years. Just simply the way that he can run the ball at the quarterback position and how elusive he is and how shifty he can be, I definitely would agree with that statement. See, non-Ravens fans, y'all can say that. But if you ask me, I'm more stressed out than excited watching Lamar because you just, you never really know what's going to happen. But, yeah, I would say it's believable just because, I mean, they're very explosive players, but there has not been a quarterback in the league that has done the things that Lamar has done in the way that he has done it. Of course, we've had rushing quarterbacks before and some great ones, but the way that Lamar does it is just different from everybody else. And so, yeah, I would agree. I would agree that he's the most exciting player, even though he's stressing me the hell out. And I'm sure he's going to stress me out again on Sunday night. But it's all good as long as we're winning. All right, speaking of winning, the Philadelphia Eagles have gotten off into a bit of a win streak as of late, and it has calmed down some of the quarterback controversy. So much foe, so Dan Orlovsky said, it's not the question anymore. Jalen Hurts is the quarterback now. He is the quarterback for the future. Believable or buffoonery, the Philadelphia Eagles should move forward with the belief that Jalen Hurts is their franchise quarterback. I agree with you. I think that what the common denominator has been throughout the past few weeks um, of the Eagles winning is their run game. They have finally started utilizing it. I want to say they rushed for over 200 yards against the Saints, um, 200 yards the game before that, and then two. I know they rushed for another 200 yards against the Lions. I mean, 
they have rolled this run game and it has taken the ball out of uh, Jalen Hurts' hands. I can't say the last time he threw for over 200 yards. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, if it's working, it's fine. But long-term sustainability, you don't know if that is going to work. And so with that in mind, I would still be scouting. If you can tell me there's an option to get a better quarterback, I'm going to take it. Because for right now, it's cool. But do I believe that Jalen Hurts can lead this team to the playoffs? No. But he's helping them win, but it's more so because of their run game than anything him individually is doing. But all right, let's go ahead and make our Week 12 game picks. And it feels crazy how fast this season has gone by. But uh, starting off with the Atlanta Falcons versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't know why I'm picking the Jaguars for a second straight week, but I just have a hard time picking the Falcons to do anything right now. I got the Jazz. I'm picking the Falcons. New York Jets versus the Houston Texans. This is literally a toss-up game. But I'll throw Zach Wilson a bone. It's his first game back in a few weeks. I'll say Jets. Understandable. Speaking of you guys, Tennessee Titans being hosted by the New Orleans, I mean, not New England Patriots. I got Patriots. I got Pats. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles versus the New York Giants. I got Eagles. I got Giants. I could see that. All right, Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Cincinnati Bengals. I know the Bengals won the first one, but I don't I don't see them sweeping the back Steelers. I got Pittsburgh. Yeah, I got Pitt. Pitt they won and make a Prince Patrick back. Uh Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Indianapolis Colts. On paper, it should be fun, but I still got Bucks and not that close of a game. Yeah, I got Bucks too. Uh Carolina Panthers versus the Miami Dolphins. I got Panthers. I got Panthers. Los Angeles Chargers versus the Denver Broncos. I got Chargers. I got Chargers. Minnesota Vikings taking on the San Francisco 49ers. I could see this being an interesting game, but I'm going Vikings. Yeah, I'm going Vikings also. Los Angeles Rams versus the Green Bay Packers. This is tough, but I'm going to say Rams. I don't think this is that tough, and I got Rams. Fair enough. We shall see. Um, Sunday Night Football, like I mentioned earlier, the Cleveland Browns being hosted by my Baltimore Ravens. We know what happened the last time the Ravens and Browns played each other, and hopefully it's a much less stressful event. I got Baltimore. Yeah, I got Baltimore as well. All right, Monday Night Football, the Seattle Seahawks against the Washington football team. I'm going to say Seattle. I think they bounce back. Uh, Yeah, I'm going Seattle too. All right. Let's talk the players we are looking forward to watching offensively, defensively, and our rookie. Um, starting off offensively, who you got? Offensively, uh, I'm going to be looking at Ryan Tannehill. Fair. For the sole purpose of, bro, I hate to say it, the whole offense is on your shoulders right now. You have to stop throwing picks. So I got to go Tannehill. Um, I'm going to go with Kareem Hunt. Let's be honest, the uh, Browns offense has been rough to watch, and that's putting it nicely. When Nick, We know that Nick Chubb is a baller. We know Nick Chubb is great. But Kareem Hunt provides a new dynamic. And with this being his first game back in several weeks, it should provide a different dynamic for the Browns and also help take the ball out of Baker's hands because clearly when he has it, it does not look good. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching how they're going to utilize Kareem Hunt in this pivotal AFC North matchup. Uh, defensively, who are you watching? time decision there's not official word if he's gonna play or not but I did say the Bucks defensive line for all the same reasons I mean we know Jonathan Taylor's propelling that Colts offense well in order for him to not that not to happen the defensive line has to do its job all right what rookie are you watching
I mean, for my fantasy team, I would love for him to do that again. Uh, my rookie is going to – I'm sorry. What were you saying? No, I'm saying that too because you don't hold my fantasy team. Exactly. Uh, off, all right, so my rookie is going to be not – well, yeah, I'll stick with Najee Harris. I mean, he had a really solid game the first time that the Bengals played it. Um, but for in order for them to win, he's going to have a need to have an even bigger and better game. It seems like the Steelers passing offense is getting a little bit better, but Najee Harris has definitely been a consistent piece. And in order for them to continue winning, he's got to continue to ball out. Um, unsurprisingly, I'm calling out my Ravens. We know how it is, primetime games. That's when y'all like to mess up everybody's heart rate. But primetime game, we got to win. Lamar is back. We won a game last week without him, but... Let's see what we can do this week with them, especially in a divisional game, and we all know the division is very tight right now. Who are you calling out? Uh, uh, I got to go with the Titans. Like, <clears throat> you lose to the Houston Texans, yes, I understand. You're fighting an uphill battle against a great Patriots defense, and we're down basically every – with that, all of our offensive weapons that hold some value. I I don't expect us to win. I just want us to not get punked out. If we lose and we put up a fight, I will be happy. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways of this past week of action? Top three takeaways, I'm going to continue to bang the drum. Did he make him a little funny, but he also kicked his butt. Dropped what, 33? 30-something? Yeah. He had a Yeah, he had a hell of a game against them too. And they won. So what more can you ask for? All right, let's talk our Mamba players of the week. Out of the Eastern Conference, I'm going with a familiar name. I'm going Kevin Durant. I mean, I would agree with you that Steph is the best player in the league, but Kevin Durant is definitely doing his thing in Brooklyn. Yeah, I gotta go with KD as well. Moving on to my Western player. This is going to sound a bit weird. Not weird, but I'm going with LeBron. The biggest thing about Kobe Bean Bryant was when he was on the court, he made his team better. He was the deciding factor for his team. And we've seen when LeBron was back on the court, the Lakers overall played better. Even though they were still in some ugly games. For example, you lost in three overtimes to the Kings. But personifying a Mamba, you make your team better. That's what LeBron James has done this since he's been back on the court. All right, and my rookie of the week, this is going to be a first-timer. I'm going Cam Thomas. I really like Cam Thomas, and I thought that him falling to the Nets was an absolute steal. And we're really starting to see that when he was called up, had 11 points in this past game. Really just been a really nice performer coming off of the bench and giving KD a bit more support because let's be honest, unless James Harden is getting to the free throw line almost 20 times a game, he's not putting up the high volume of scoring that we've become used to, whereas Cam Thomas has really kind of been a nice uh, – Say third option, or at least coming off the bench option, and he's been a lot of fun to watch. So I'm going Cam. Um, for me, I'm going with um, Raptors forward Scotty Barnes. Uh, that guy, he's not even fully developed, but he has the potential to be a really great player. I wanted to see him when they played against Memphis. I didn't. I lost my opportunity to go to the game because my my best friend decided to take his girlfriend. All right, let's go ahead and move on to some good news, starting with Dirk Nowitzki, one of the most likable players in the NBA, soon-to-be Hall of Famer. He is getting his number 41 jersey retired by the Dallas Mavericks on January 5th. 
um, versus the Golden State Warriors. To be honest, I'm surprised they're just now doing it. But congratulations to Dirk. And me personally, I'd probably want to have retired it against the Heat just kids, you know. That's who they won the championship against. But either way, congratulations to Dirk Nowitzki. Even though, not going to lie, the year that you guys won the championship, I was mad at you because you swept my Lakers. So, But we're cool now. All is forgiven. Me and 41 are all good. The energy is not going to be there. That's like when um the Celtics retired Paul Pierce's number and they played the Cavs and LeBron single-handedly murdered them. Yeah, like, I think, like, this one played the Grizzlies when they decided to retire Zebo's jersey. They, they did it against the game against the Rockies because it's a game that we could very well easily win. Where it's like, bro, I don't want, want Zebo's jersey to get retired. And we're playing LeBron. Yeah, but I'm sure it'll be still an exciting moment. At the very least, you get to see Dr. Whiskey again. All right, let's talk about some big injury news, starting off with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Colin Sexton, um, he had suffered an injury earlier in the season, and um, sorry, um, after suffering a meniscus injury, and now it's being reported that he is going to miss the rest of the season after having surgery on said torn meniscus. Um, so he is done for the year. Another young player who with the potential, Michael Porter Jr., has also been out of action, and no one really seems to know why, according to Austin Rivers, his teammate. Um, so as of right now, they are saying that he is suffering from a nerve injury, but the timing for this injury could not have been worse. Um, as we all remember, he was signed to a five-year, $207 million max contract this offseason, but has been playing pretty underwhelming. For example, um, he's only averaging 9.9 .9 points per game, 6.6 .6 rebounds, 1.9 assists. Definitely not the player that they expected him to be. So, Ethan, in your opinion, should the Nuggets be worried about Michael Porter Jr.? I think they should, not necessarily given the price tag that they associated with his um, contract, but more so the injury itself. When you're dealing with nerves and things of that nature, those things can be very, uh, that can be really sensitive and they can have really bad long-term lasting effects on a person's body. Uh, and for him to have it at such a young age, like who knows, that could very well play a part into the reason he hasn't been produ producing the way that he has in, like, last year because he might have had these nerve injuries for longer and they just now discovered it. And now, that, now they're able to pinpoint what's going on with him. So I definitely think it should be a cause for concern. Yeah, and like you mentioned, I mean, nerve injuries are very different than, let's say, you break a bone or you tear something. Nerves are like... It's difficult to fully treat those and really come back 100% just because there are so many things that could go into said injury. So, yeah, I think that it could be something that, God forbid, that could possibly shorten his career if it becomes even worse than they think. So, hopefully, it's nothing too, too serious. Um, even if it affects this season, hopefully long term, he'll be able to perform at a high level and be able to do play the game that, I mean, he's very good at when he has played. So it'll be very interesting to see how it shakes out. But, yeah, I mean, it is scary stuff when you think about nerve injuries. All right, speaking of st scary stuff, we almost had Malice in the Palace Part 2 last Sunday. After, at the free throw line, um, after trying to rebound a free throw, LeBron James, quote-unquote, accidentally um, elbowed second-year uh, forward Isaiah Stewart. I don't think I have to go much further because I know we all saw the video and it got pretty intense. So it's, of course, been the topic of conversation a lot this week. So first things first, Ethan, do you feel like LeBron did it on purpose? Because I don't. I think it genuinely was an accident. They were trying to box each other out. 
I would agree with that. Now, next question. Do you think that Isaiah Stewart overreacted? No. And the reason I don't think Isaiah Stewart overreacted was because of the fact that he saw that his own, that his blood was strong. Yeah. And the reason I'm saying this is because, like, you can get hit. A lot of times people can get hit in the face and they'll be perfectly fine. But the minute they see their own blood, that's what sends them over the edge. And I think that's what happened with him was once he, because you got, you, even in the video, he was kind of okay at first, but then it's like once he noticed that he was bleeding, that's when he like lost it. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think that while a lot of people, you know, are making jokes about it or whatever, like this is this is a very basketball may not be as physical as other sports like football or you know wrestling MMA whatever, but like these are still grown men with a lot of testosterone who are on the edge, and we've seen it a lot this season. There have been so many skirmishes and people get each other's faces this year. A lot more, especially this early in the season that we've seen in years past. And with that being said, I think that everybody's just kind of more, not on edge, but everybody's a bit more physical. And we're seeing that with Isaiah Stewart. And I'm sure it played into, one, like you mentioned, seeing his own blood. And two, he don't want anybody to think he's going to punk him. And I think that no matter who you are, on oddly enough, I do respect how upset he was. Because, I mean, a lot of players probably would be like, oh, snap, that's LeBron, let me calm down. But he didn't care who it was. And he was mad, and he was going to call a scene. And part of me is kind of like, dang, I wonder what would have happened if he would have got his hands on LeBron. But then again, I'm happy that he didn't because LeBron, is, even though he may not be the best player in the league anymore, he's still the face of the league. And if LeBron was to get into a fight with somebody, I think that for all the right-wingers or people who are just looking for any reason to look down on LeBron or bash him or go on with the whole shut-up-and-dribble thing, if that would have happened, that would have just been more fuel to the fire for the whole situation. So in a mature standpoint, I like that nothing else popped off, but it would have been interesting. Yeah. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to a game of believable or buffoonery. Giannis, you mentioned him earlier, definitely one of the best players in the league, reigning finals MVP. And it seems that people feel like he does not get the respect that he deserves. In fact, former NBA player Richard uh, Jefferson said this, it is unfair to Anthony Davis to compare him to Giannis. It's disrespectful to Giannis to compare him to Anthony Davis. Similar skill set, similar body styles, but Giannis has a dog in him. Believable or buffoonery? It is disrespectful to Giannis to compare him to AD. I, I think it's some belief behind it simply because uh, I agree with Richard Jefferson. The thing that I think Anthony uh, Giannis has that Anthony Davis doesn't is he has that dog. Like, yes, Anthony Davis is far more superiorly talented than Giannis. You see that with the way that he's able to face up and knock down jumpers and the way that he can just move. But Giannis just is one of those guys where it's like he has that will to win. And you don't necessarily see that with Anthony Davis. Like, case in point, during this stint of games that, you know, LeBron was injured and slash suspended. I was saying that in order for the Lakers to win those games, they were going to have to go through Anthony Davis. And... In a sense, they weren't. They were going through Westbrook. And I think that if it was Giannis in their position versus AD, Giannis should be like, look, Westbrook, I understand you're a former MVP, yada, 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 but give me the ball. And that's why I, I definitely agree. Yeah, I agree, too. I think that no one, like you mentioned, no one doubts that AD is a very good player. But, I mean, not to be that person, but AD had his chance to lead a team to a ring. Like, when he was with New Orleans, he was with a team that was not necessarily the biggest market. He was clearly the guy. There were years when he did have talent around him, but it just did not happen. I think the furthest they may have gone is, what, the, maybe the second round of the playoffs? Second round of the playoffs. Yeah, so they never really got that far, as opposed to Giannis, 
who was able to do that. One could argue maybe the talent around him, but like you mentioned, AD has a much wider skill set than Giannis has. Giannis, I don't want to call Giannis a one-trick pony offensively, but compared to AD, he feels like one. AD can beat you with a well, well-rounded well uh, amount of moves, whereas Giannis is more so he's going to drive to the hoop, he's going to beat you in the post, and that's it. He might try a mid-range shot, a rare three from time to time, but more times than not, you know most of his work is being done by the net. So, yeah, I I can agree. I do think that it's a bit disrespectful, but not to dissuade anybody from thinking AD is a great player, because he is, but I, I can definitely see there's some disrespect. All right, so speaking of some disrespect, more and more seems becoming the way of Zion, who has been very talented and good, but injury-prone nonetheless. Now, as we all remember a few years back, he was drafted with the first overall pick by the New Orleans Pelicans. But Kendrick Perkins had some interesting comments to say about that draft selection. In fact, he said, I wonder if the Pelicans have any regrets not taking Ja Morant with the number one pick a few years ago, carry on. Now, notwithstanding last night's injury, which as we, of course, we both want a speedy recovery for Ja, Ja Morant has been balling out in his third season, looking like one of the best point guards in the league thus far, um, currently averaging, pull up his stats real quick, he's averaging 24 points per game, 5.6 rebounds, 6.8 assists, all this while shooting 47.6% from the field. So, Ethan, believable or buffoonery, the Pelicans regret not taking John Morant with the first overall pick. that there is some belief to that. I know at the time they weren't exactly dying for a guard. You know, they had made that Lakers trade. They got Lonzo. They thought that they had that piece there in addition with B.I., Josh Hart, the other players who came over with that. But, yeah, I mean, I'm in agreement with you. I think that the best ability for any player is availability, your chance to be on the court. And then anything else really after that is a caveat. And, I mean, with what Ja has been able to do with this organization, like you mentioned, he's really helped make the Grizzlies – not only a playoff contender, but must-see TV. Because let's be honest, that stretch before grit and grind ended until Ja got there, not many people were that excited to watch a Memphis Grizzlies game. There was not yeah, there was much, not much to do about it. But once Ja got there, he changed the tide and changed the team to making them like, yo, the Grizzlies are playing. Let's see what Ja is doing. Because like you mentioned, with Zion, he can produce a lot of highlight-worthy plays but they're not exactly leading to victories. Whereas Ja is not only getting those highlight plays, but he's also helping his team win. So yeah, I agree with you. I think that the Pelicans definitely are looking back on that decision and questioning if it was exactly the right move, especially with the success that Ja has had, especially if he is able to come back soon and get back onto the court. 
But all right, last question before we make our game picks for tonight. Um, unsurprisingly, we talked about it last week about Luke Walton's job being in jeopardy. And unsurprisingly, the Kings did end up firing Walton after posting a 68-93 and 93 record as the Kings coach. However, still, there are questions with regards to their organization. In fact, um, following a game, De'Aaron Fox spoke with the media, and he was asked about the team being affected by outside pressure. To which he replied, we play basketball, man. I don't know how much pressure it is. It's not like we're in the playoffs. Well, it's not like the Kings have been in the playoffs for several years. And let's be honest, I don't know if you watched the press conference, but looking at his demeanor, you could just tell that De'Aaron Fox was out of it. Yes, he is the Kings star player, but believable or buffoonery, De'Aaron Fox will not be a King by this time next year. Because, like you mentioned, between the Buddy Hill potentially being traded, I think that kind of went more towards what what would make De'Aaron a more likely trade candidate, just because he's a more desirable player. Buddy Hill is very good at what he does with regards to shooting, especially from long range. But De'Aaron Fox is proven to be one of those point guards who can be really good. The only problem is the team he plays for is bad and has been bad for years. And so I just think that after a while. One of the worst things for a player to do is just get complacent with losing because once that happens, it's hard to really kind of turn that switch. It's hard to really get away from that because it becomes all you've known. And in Sacramento, that's really all he's known. And for a young, exciting player like De'Aaron Fox, I'm hoping that he'll be able to be in a situation where he is on a winning team because let's be honest, it's not the Kings. So, yeah, I find belief to it. I could see them making that move. And if I'm the 76ers, I would do it happily, especially because it just seems time and time again it's not working with Ben Simmons. It's no point of trying to make it work. And they're really just kind of shooting themselves in the foot by prolonging trading him. But, all right, let's go ahead and make our predictions for tonight's game, starting with the Minnesota Timberwolves versus the Philadelphia 76ers. I got 76ers. New York Knicks versus the Atlanta Hawks. I'm going Hawks. I'm going Knicks. Uh, Phoenix Suns versus the Brooklyn Nets. I'm going Nets. Even though the Suns have been on a hell of a run, 15 straight wins. That's impressive. Yeah, I'm going Nets as well. Um, Miami Heat versus the Chicago Bulls. I think the Heat get their groove back. It's going to be tough, though, just because the Bulls have been balling. Their three-headed monster has definitely been roaring thus far. Uh, Charlotte Hornets versus the Houston Rockets. I got Hornets. Yeah, I got Hornets. Orlando Magic versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. I, you know, I'm going Magic. What the heck? I'm also going Magic. They, they have some talent. 
Yeah, they got a lot of young talent. It's just a matter of what are y'all doing with them, which no one knows. Um, Washington Wizards versus the Dallas Mavericks. I know Luka's supposed to play. I'm, I'll go Mavericks. All right, and then finally, New Orleans Pelicans versus the Utah Jazz. I got Jazz. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's go ahead and move on to talking about Survivor Series. All right, so let's go ahead and kick things off recapping Survivor Series, even though, yes, I know, I just said that. Um, Damian Priest doesn't want a rock and roll all night and loses to Shinsuke Nakamura after hitting him with a broken electric guitar after Mr. Boogs gets on every last nerve of his body. Becky Lynch uses the tricks from the queen to defeat her. Uh, Seth Rollins proves to be the captain after winning it for Team Raw as their sole survivor. Almost wins the random Rock Pizza Hut 25th anniversary battle royal. Uh, Team Rated RK Bro uh, remains undefeated as they defeat the Usos with yet another stellar RKO appearance. Um, Bianca Belair proves to be the real EST of Survivor Series and becomes overcomes being down four to one to Team SmackDown to win. And Roman Reigns remains at the head of the table after beating Big E in what was a pretty good match. I went four and one. My only loss was Damian Priest actually losing, which was surprising. But I mean, it's all good. And then, of course, nobody really knew about the Battle Royal until it happened, so there you go. Um, my favorite match of the night was Charlotte versus Becky Lynch. I mean, I'll be the first to say I'm not exactly the most impressed by what Becky Lynch does in the ring, but when she's in the ring with Charlotte, it makes her look better. Is it because she's in there with the queen, or um, you'll be the judge of that. But overall, it was a very good match. The ending was kind of bland, but I'm not that surprised. I wasn't surprised. I didn't really have her like outright beating Charlotte, but overall it was a very good and well-paced match. I'm happy that's what opened up the show. Um, my favorite moment was Bianca Belair overcoming the four to one odds. I mean, unfortunately with Becky Lynch back, I'm not surprised that she's not still Raw Women's Champion as much as I would love for her to be champion again. But a realistic thing, I think that Bianca Belair right now is one of the best women in all of WWE. I mean, if you ask me a hierarchy, I, she's definitely within the top three. And I think that having her have such a strong performance against the remaining members of Team SmackDown really only makes sense just because you want to keep her strong. Yes, she's not exactly in the title picture, but you don't want to forget about Bianca Belair and just how much of a star she truly is. And this really showcased her stardom. Um, moving on to the increased stock, Austin Theory. When it was announced that he was going to be taking uh, Rey Mysterio's place in this match, I literally just thought he was going to be like a placeholder or one, just somebody who got eliminated early. But instead, he was one of the final two on Team Raw. And it really gave him a lot of ability to not only be in the ring with some of the best in the business, but also raise his stock. Continue to show that he is a force we reckon with and somebody we are probably going to see a, quite a bit of throughout the year. So, yeah, with that being said, Austin Theory, I was very impressed. Um, decrease stock, Team SmackDown's women. No disrespect to Shotzi and Tony and, okay, hold on. Let's try this again. Who was it? Uh, yeah, Shotzi, Tony. Shotzi, Tony, um, Shayna and Natalia. Boom, there we go. No disrespect to them, especially uh, Tony, because Tony's my girl. Love me some Tony Storm. But the way that you guys got buried by one person, even if it is Bianca Belair, your stock's going to have to drop. Like, the odds are just totally in your favor, and there's no way you could make it work. Like I said, happy because it's Bianca Belair, but on the whole, it's just like, that's embarrassing. Um, My one booking decision, I really didn't have too many, Uh, but I would have had the Usos win. I think that just bloodline purposes, personally, I think the Usos are still the best tag team in the WWE um, while RK Bro is a tremendous tag team, and I think that they are one of the highlights of Raw, I still think the Usos not necessarily needed it more, but I think it would have made more sense for them to win. Uh, my WTF moment was Montez Ford slinging the pizza into the audience. Like, I was making jokes about it with uh, my boyfriend while we were watching. It was just like, just imagine you just minding your business and just freaking pizza slaps you in the face. Like, I understand you're promoting and all that, but truthfully, 
Don't just throw random pizza into an audience. That causes bugs and brings in creatures from hell. And you already know they in New York. So it was very weird that that was the move. And then finally, my show grade was a solid B. I think it was a pretty good show. Um, Not too, too much that necessarily stood out. But definitely, overall, the matches were very good. I enjoyed watching it. Um, Yeah. And I mean, I feel like it was probably one of the better pay-per-views of uh, 2021. And is it the last pay-per-view? I think it might have been the last one. But those are my, uh, that's my recap of Survivor Series. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you guys so much for listening for the show. As always, please be sure to check out theexport.net. I repeat, theexport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.